0: Make them guys, you know, like we're, we're, you know, robo RoboCops we're coming in here. We're smashing these dudes. If they get out of line, we're the bosses. And really, man, a lot of them are still scared.
1: Free me podcast.
0: And as you get down to the lower levels, you know, some of the guards are a little better. I was in Raybrook in New York. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them guys, I shouldn't say 80% because a lot of them guys treated you with respect. You know what I mean? If you respected them, they respected you. They didn't necessarily go out of their way to, you know, be nasty or to write you up for nothing. You know, most of them over there were all right. So you're right about when you drop levels. But then I went to a low my last nine months, and they were absolutely horrible because they think everybody in a low is a child molester or everybody's a snitch. They can't go to any other prison, so they're scared, so they can abuse you there because you're not going to do anything in response that would, you know, sacrifice your security level because... If you go to a medium or a max, well, guess what? Because of your crime or because of what you did, you're in danger. So you're gonna let me abuse you and do whatever I want to you because you don't want to go to that other prison. And you know, I was just kind of like, this wasn't a benefit for me. Going to a low security prison was not a benefit for me. I despised it, it was the worst place I ever been, the most disrespectful prisoners ever. People were, you know, sneak thieving, you know, and these are you know, and the staff were just absolutely horrible destroy your cell, leave everything all over the place for no reason, you know, and, and it's been largely documented in my case, where my prosecutor contacted the SIS officer, the investigative unit, and my judge said that they manufactured evidence on me to try to keep me in prison. They tried to pin me with a cell phone uh, chip, which they never even had. They had a cell phone chip holder that was in my cellie's locker in his Bible, but they wrote in the court papers that it was in my Bible in my locker. Well, it all came out, that same guy that testified to that, he wrote my cellmate up and said it was in his locker, in his body. And the judge said, look, man, you guys are manufacturing evidence against this guy. And it, not only is it wrong, but it's flimsy. It doesn't even make sense. So, you know, you got people down there at them low security prisons that, you know, the guy, I'm like, look, man, you're working a prison. You want to be a cop? Go be a cop. You want to fight crime? Go be a, a beat cop. Go be a street cop. Fight crime out there. I mean, you don't have to come in here and manufacture stuff against me. I've been in here 17 years. I deserve a chance to get out. I had changed my life. At that point, I hadn't been wrote up in eight, nine years. I got a college degree. I taught GED classes. I taught leadership classes. I taught alternative violence, project seminars. I was a suicide companion. But yet I got this one cop that wants to be a super cop because my prosecutor called him and said, I need something on this guy. You know, he went and made up a bunch of stuff. On my birthday, he stripped me butt naked and took pictures of me of all my tattoos and, you know, tried to place them with whatever gang or car they wanted me to be in. So, you know, people are nasty. And the lower the level, the nastier they got. The,
1: I mean, that's, that, those are facts. And, and that's the truth. It's, it's a different type of game. It's, it's more psychological when you get lower, you know. And, and everything that you just said is what I experienced going from Beaumont to Miami Low, which Miami Low is considered uh, one of the havens because it has a lake in the middle of the compound. It still has weights on the compound, you know, so it's a privilege to be at that place. And and exactly how you said is is the mentality of them guards is they, they treat you like it's, it's a privilege to be here. They'll ship you out of here real quick, you know, and I'll never forget the first time I got there, right? Within a month, I was, I was bumping heads with this lieutenant. And, and I had an altered shirt that I had for a long time, but it was just a white T-shirt that I, I sewed some gray long sleeves on, right? So I was coming back. It was a Sunday, and I'm coming back from the commissary, and this lieutenant he's following me. So he's like, hey, hey, you. Well, first and foremost, right, I know where I'm at, but I always kept a little self-dignity. And I wow. wouldn't let anybody respond to me as, hey, hey, you, right? You can call me inmate or whatever, because that's what I am. But you're not going to, I'm not some chick that you're going to, hey, you know? Yeah. So I just kept walking. And he's like, um, he goes, now he says, inmate, if you don't stop right now, you're going to the shoe. So now I stop, I set my commissary down, I turn around, I'm like, Garcia, right? I said, why are you messing with me, man? So he's like, "You got contraband on, so I look down I'm like my shirt, I'm like, "Come on, it's Sunday, man, you know, because through the week you're expected to wear your khakis. you're supposed to you know be presentable because you never know who is going to be on the compound right again, at the end of the day, you have to remember this this whole thing is a play, right, so I'm telling Garcia I'm like, look man it's it's you know it's the weekend and and it's Sunday." So he tells me, he says, he tells me, he says, man, I don't give a fuck what day it is. You got contraband on. Give me that fucking shirt. You know, he says, go back to the unit and give me that fucking shirt. Man, I took the shirt off right there in the middle of the compound and I threw it at him. I picked my commissary up and I kept walking. Right. So this guy, man, he got 38 hot. He threw the shirt back at me and hit me in the back of the head. So he he stops me and he's like, why did you throw the shirt at me? I said, you know, I said, listen, man. I said, you know what? I said, you're absolutely right, Garcia, because at the end of the day, I got contraband on, you know? And I said, you're in the right. So I'm gonna cool out here. I said, but don't you ever talk to me like that ever again. I said, I'm a grown man, right? And you better respect what I am. I've made mistakes in my life, but respect who I am. I've changed my life. This is why I'm here in a low, you know? And I wanna get into that with you because we talked about cars. We talked about the influence that people have on you and the expectations that they have of you to sell drugs to hurt people, right? Under that pressure, how did you change your life, Chad?
0: Well, like I said, man, I think that people are mentally stuck at whatever age you go into prison, right? And I always I considered myself an educated dude. Okay, I was a drug dealer, but I also owned a pizza shop. I was married. You know, I owned a home improvement company and I felt like I had matured. I think men, I think something clicks, right? And at a certain age you change and you start to, you know, appreciate things. Well, that happened to me before I went to prison. And then when I went to prison, I was like, man, it's like I'm stuck. And there came a point where I said, man, I want to get out of prison. So I have to be a better me. If I don't become a better me, then I'm never getting out of prison. I can sit in here, I can sell drugs, I can do whatever I want have a nice white G-Shock watch, you know. buy Nike sunglasses when someone comes in with them, like you said, your shirt. I was that guy, man, I bought a necklace because I liked nice things before I went to prison. So if you came to that prison, I would just buy whatever you had. If it was nice and no one else had it, I wanted it, right? I wanted to feel like I was still on the street. So I started to change my, my rationale, man, where I said, I wanna get out of prison. Do I wanna be in here and have all the nice stuff for the next 40 years? Or do I want to get out of prison and have nice stuff in the street? So I started to grow up again. You know, I was stuck. But something clicked and said, man, you got to grow up. I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, I want to be a better me because I want to get out of prison. And that's the only way I'm ever getting out. So I changed my mentality, man. I changed my way of thinking. Um, I'm kind of an aggressive dude. I've always been aggressive. So, you know, I tell people, man, I went from a gangster to a gentleman. man." But I can still be that dude if I had to be but I tried to do things differently because the ultimate goal was what to get out of prison. Like you said, I've told officers plenty. I don't even like calling them officer. I've told guards and cops plenty of times. Hey, before I'm an inmate, I'm a convict, a prisoner, any of that shit. I'm a man. So respect me. And I was quick to tell them, Hey man, I got 40 years. I got nothing else to lose. And they knew exactly what I meant. Not that I wanted to do something to them, but if you did something to me, then I would Mm -hmm. return the favor, man. Because at that point in my life, I really didn't have anything to lose. But like you said, you, you, know, you told me, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm a firm believer that people, will, people create problems, right? But you can give them a way out because you know. You know that you could probably hurt this person, right? They probably got no shot. And I've been in situations where I'm like, this dude has no shot. But I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to let you apologize, man. I'm going to let you... You know, and there's been instances where, we, you know, we let people go on top at an FCI. Right, I told dude, hey, man, you did this, you did that, you got to go. But we're going to allow you to leave without putting our hands on you. You know what I mean? So I started to rational where you don't always have to physically abuse someone, man. You don't have to stab people, man. You don't have to hurt people. You don't have to do that. And like I said, dudes in federal prison and maximum security prisons, they look for reasons to really hurt people. And it's minute stuff. The guy said at the table. In the chow hall. Okay, that was your chair. Just tell the dude, man, hey, listen, man. That's my chair, man. Don't sit there no more. You guys sit over there. The independent dudes, you guys sit over there at that table. Don't sit in my chair again. That could have been handled like that. But instead, you got two or three 20-year-olds beating up a 50-year-old. You know, I didn't like shit like that, man. I always been like that. I don't like people that bully people. I don't, I don't give a shit where you're at prison, high school, middle school. I don't like that shit, man. So when I, you know, when I was in a situation where, you know, I was a leader, you know, I believe leaders breed leaders, right? Bad leaders and good leaders. I would make good decisions, man. I wouldn't have people be the dude up for sitting in the chair. You know what I mean? So I just changed my rationale. I changed my way of thinking. I changed my character, man. Character education. That's what I did.
1: Well, and that's what I want to get into. So, so who are you and what did you change from?
0: Well, like I said, man, I changed. Where did, from, where
1: did, where did you grow up at?
0: Uh, I'm from upstate New, well, western New York. I'm from Rochester, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up poor. My mother was a poor single mother on welfare. I became a crack dealer. I sold crack. I was, you know, unfortunately, you know, I sold. I had a whole crew of dudes working for me, allegedly. So I ended up with a 40 year sentence at the age of 24. Had that plea. Went to trial. Got convicted. Went to federal prison. Um. From day one, I always said, I'm never getting out of prison unless I get myself out. So I went to the law library, learned the law. And then I started to meet people, man, that had the same shit done to them that was done to me. And they couldn't think past goal. They couldn't help themselves. Some people just got it. You can go in there and read case law and learn it. Either you got it or you don't. I'm a firm believer in that. And some people just can't help themselves. So I I had a guy, Billy D. Williams. I like to talk about Billy sometimes. He pled guilty. He was 24 years old. He had two prior nonsense drug felonies for like $30 worth of crack and $50 worth of crack. Well, those two prior felonies mandated a life sentence for the next time he got caught with 50 grams of crack, which is less than the size of your palm. Right. Mm. And they gave him life, but he pled guilty. Who the hell pleads guilty? You think if a lawyer told him, Hey, if you plead guilty, you're going to prison for the rest of your life at the age of 25. The lawyer never told to do that, man. He didn't have any money to hire me. I did his case for free. I lost. I lost his case. But eventually he got out under Obama under clemency. Mm. So I had a desire to help other people. Like I said, I don't like people that bully people. And I feel like the government bullies people. They do nasty things. I don't know how anyone can take a 20-year-old kid that's selling drugs and tell him, look, I'm sending you to prison for the rest of your life. I think that's fair. How do you go home and have dinner with your family? When did you think about that 20-year-old kid did you ever go back and think about that? His mom had him when he shoot when he was fourteen. And maybe she no. was a crack smoker. Did no, you it's a it's part? a
1: it's a it's a business. It's 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 like you said, You own what kind of business?
0: I own a paralegal prison consultant firm.
1: No, I mean before you went in, you said that oh, you had, had a
0: pizza shop.
1: Okay, so it's like a, it's like it's like, a, it's like a pizza shop, right? Let's mm-hmm. the perfect example. Pizza. You know that pizza is bad for people. You know that if you eat pizza continuously that you're gonna have health problems, right? Pizza's not the best thing for you, right? But you continue to serve it to people, why? Because it's a business and it's a good business and you make money. It's the same thing with the prison system. It's the same thing with these politicians. It's the same thing with these judges. It's a business. The way they look at it, hey, you shouldn't have did what you did. You shouldn't have put yourself in a position to be wrapped up in my business. Now I'm gonna profit off you and this is how we're treated, this is what we're looked at, right? And Absolutely. instead of them, and listen, if it, I'm cool with that, right? If that's what it is, then let us know that. Don't tell us that you're about reform. Don't tell us about that, that you're about rehabilitation. Tell us, come out on the news and just say, listen, we're, we're a business, this is profit. You wanna put yourself in, this is what you're facing. Maybe it'll change the way people look at crime, who knows? We need truth, though.
0: Well, like you say, you know, you change the criminal justice system, you stop sending people to prison, what happens? Well, you don't need as many lawyers no more. You don't need as many judges. You don't need as many school teachers in prison, which most of them don't teach anything anyway. You don't need the companies that are making the razor wire or the fencing, right? How many basketballs and footballs and baseball equipment do they sell to prisons? You're right, it's a business, man. How many people do they sit in these unicorn factories working for 25 Mm -hmm. cents and they're tricking these people and making them think, they made two hundred dollars this month. You're doing really good. Two hundred dollars in prison is really good to some people, right? To most people. And they trick them, but yet they're selling this firm. Well, we're selling it to government agencies. We're making the uniforms for the military. You know, we're we're doing this, we're doing that. Yeah, it is. It's a business for profit. But now I think that society's starting to think and see things and they're not happy with the things that happen. We have to have a there have to be there has to be consequences for actions, right? But if we're really about rehabilitation, then what should we be doing? We should give people a way out, right? Better yourself so that you can better society. Our society shouldn't be based on all the jobs that come from prisons and all the tax dollars that they get from workers that they just shove back into the system. You know, it's either prison or war that fueled our economy. So, I mean, it's scientifically proven.
1: It's scientifically proven that it only takes five years to rehabilitate the human mind to retrain the human mind, it only takes five years. So what do we need 40-year sentences for, right? If if you're saying that it only takes five years to retrain the mind, and if that fi- if, it, if, if that rehabilitation does not occur within those five years, then rehabilitation is, is it, it can't happen. So what, what are we sentencing the people to 20 and 30 years for, right? But so h- how did you, Chad, get into, Drug dealing as a kid, right? You say your your mother was single on welfare. What made you choose that path?
0: Well, I'm gonna tell you what made me choose that path, right? My father was a drug addict. Man, he died. He you know, he died. I believe he died getting high, overdose. Um,
1: I'm sorry to hear that.
0: It's it's all right. I never seen the uh, I never seen the reports or anything like that. But that's what I believe. Um, like I said, I came from a poor community, right? What age was that? But when my dad died,
1: yeah.
0: um, I believe I was twenty. I was 22 when my dad died. Oh, but okay. I was just going back to what my neighborhood was, you know, um, what my upbringing was. My father was yeah. a drug addict. Um, so we were poor. Growing up, we were poor. My father left when I was little. My mom struggled. Ended up, you know, on welfare, raising me and my sister at the time. And I wanted better. I was always a hustler, man. Always. Always a hustler. I'd shovel people's driveways, I'd mow their grass, I'd carry people's grocery bags. If I wanted to go to WWF wrestling, I'd go hang out at the grocery market and say, can I carry your bags to your car for a dollar? So I was always a hustler. But as I started to get older, Mm -hmm. I seen other kids had you know, better stuff than us. We were poor, man. We were kind of, I don't want to say we were just, you know, dirty kids or stuff like that because my mom was clean. But, you know, there was a point in time where I only had two pairs of jeans, man. Mm -hmm. I had four shirts and two pairs of jeans. I said, I don't want to live like this, man. And I had a friend that was selling drugs and you know, for his uncle. And I was like, man, I want to sell drugs too because I want to be able to buy some Nike Airs. I want to be able to have you know some brand name jeans. And that's what I did. I started selling drugs for a guy out of a house. Didn't work out over the weekend. My mother, and actually I had a stepfather. My stepfather came down there and uh, they brought me out of the house at 13 years old, pulled my pants down and spanked me, man, in front of everybody. You know how embarrassing that was? But that was the end of the line. After that, Everything went downhill. I didn't care what my mom said. My stepfather left the home. Again, my mother was a single mother at that point. And I, can, I was the, the, the man of the house at 13. And I said, I'm going to start selling drugs. So I sold some fake drugs to some people mm-hmm. um, in a minivan. They shot at me. They came back and shot at me. I sold them $100 worth of fake drugs. And they shot at me at 13 or 14 years old. But I took that money and bought real drugs. And then I started selling, um, back then it was powder cocaine. You know, people were freebasing where I was from. And then I turned that into other money and me and one of my buddies, we went in a partnership and, you know, he was kind of lazy. I talk about him in the book and I just took off from there. I always had that entrepreneur spirit, even for bad things. Mm -hmm. And um, I started selling drugs and made my life better. I thought at the time, but really all I was doing, every bag of dope that I sold, I was just taking a step closer and closer to big Sandy. That was my first prison. So, you know, in the end, I just made my life worse. Mm -hmm. So,
1: so that's how I started selling drugs. How, so how did you get wrapped up with guns and drugs?
0: Well, like I said, I'm I'm from you know New York, and anytime you're involved in the drug business, I mean there's potential for danger, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: we always had a gun in the house. Really, if I tell you what I went to prison for, you'd be shocked. I got five years for a 12 gauge shotgun and 25 years for a 22 rifle. I always thought as long as we didn't have a pistol, rifles are legal. So we can have a rifle in the house, and we're good. Well, I didn't know the federal law said that if you have a weapon, if if you're in possession of a weapon in furtherance of a drug trafficking crime, the first one is five years, the second one is 25, and every consecutive one is 25, and they all have to run wild. So what the cops did in my case, they knew the federal law. They busted a house. They found a gun. They didn't arrest me. They let me go. A month later, they busted another house, and then they arrested me. But I'm going to tell you why, because if they arrested me the first time, I would have only been facing 15 years. But it, because of the second gun, I was now facing a mandatory minimum of 40 and they wanted that. But if I was such a threat to the community, right, public safety factor, why didn't you arrest me then? Why would mm-hmm. you leave me out there for another month, month and a half so you can get the extra 25 years? Was I a danger for the next 30 to 45 days that you left me out here that you didn't arrest me? One hundred percent.
1: Now, but is that what they out to get me? Is that what they call stacking?
0: One hundred percent. That's eighteen USC nine twenty four C stack.
1: Okay. So, can you explain exactly the difference between uh, a stack charge, as you say, and an unstacked charge?
0: Yeah. Um. So, l- l- I'll just use me for an example, right? I was arrested for fifty grams or more of crack cocaine. That came with a ten year sentence. Um. The first gun comes with a five year sentence if I just possessed it. Really, they found it in the house that I wasn't even in, but I was charged with constructive possession. Had I brandished the weapon, that would have been an additional, that would have been seven years instead of five. Had I fired the weapon, it would have been 10. So now you get that first five years on top of the mandatory 10 for the drugs. The second gun that they find as part of the conspiracy, you get 25 years for that. And if I had a third one, it'd be another 25 and they have to be stacked. So now if I only had, and they can all be in the same indictment. You would think, well, you know, that's a recidivist enhancement. You know, the first time you get five, you don't learn your lesson, you get out, you do it again. Now you get 25 years. It doesn't work. It didn't work that way. It was five years, 25, 25. I got friends that are serving Ian Owens. He's serving like 300 years for, you know, he did some he did some bank robberies, right? And had a weapon, but they gave him 300 years. Five, 25, 25, 25, 25, 25, 25, 25 right on down the line. So that's the difference. But under the first step back, they changed that. You can no longer get five and 25 all in the same indictment. Now it's the five, 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 or it could be, you know, seven, 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 if you branched it or if you fired it, 10, 10, 10, 10. So they did change it, but this is the problem. They didn't make it retroactive. So all the guys, all the Joseph Mesa's that I described earlier, all the Ian Owens, you know, that didn't apply to them. So they're still sitting in prison suffering but it's only for the guys that get the guys that get arrested now and will come in but hopefully under the Biden administration they'll change that you know what i mean and they
1: should what what kind of mental stress do you think that has on a person i mean how 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 do you think that affects a person to know that you are sitting in prison for another 30 years and you're watching people go home with the same thing that you have
0: well, I can tell you from experience, right? I was and not to be arrogant. I was one of the main, if not the main, criminal justice advocate from prison on nine twenty four C. I wrote a big article after the first step back. They published it on Fan, put it everywhere. I was seeing guys get out on compassionate release, and you know, there's a bunch of lawyers involved. People, you know, made the argument better. Like I said, I wrote the first one that won. I wrote it from prison, but I've seen other guys leaving that had nine twenty four C stacked sentences under compassionate release. And I'm like, damn, man, I've been the dude that's been advocating this, and I'm still sitting in here. And my stuff was filed, and I'm waiting on the judge. I think it was a total of 14 to 15 months from my initial filing before I got out. So it was devastating to think, like, man, I'm not going to get out. And I got friends that I'm working on cases right now, like, um, I want to use the rapper Lil Baby. You know who he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, his father's in federal prison. He lived in the cell next to me. Head stack 924C's. I did all his legal work. I did his case, it was in front of the judge in Tennessee, that it ended up getting transferred to another judge. I did another case exactly similar to his in front of the first judge, three months after I did his. That guy's out of prison, little baby's father, he's still sitting in prison, because the new judge hasn't answered the motion, and he calls all the time, what can we do, man? I'm devastated, man. He started with life plus 55 years. He's like, I'm devastated, man. I just want to get out of here, man. What can I do? And all I can say is we can just, we just got to wait on the judge. There's a new case that comes out. I update, Hey judge, exactly what we asked you. They just did in Florida or Hey, they just did it over here in New York. And that's all we can do. So, I mean, mentally it's destroyed. This kid lost his mom and now he just lost his dad two months ago. And he's been in prison 27 years. The dude deserves it, 24, 25 years, somewhere in that range. Still deserves to get out of prison, man. He hasn't had a write-up in 20 years. He had one write-up his whole time. For being out of place, he was in a class when he had uh, high accountability. He didn't go up there and say, hey, call me in. He was in a class, and they wrote him up for not uh, reporting. But the dude deserves to get out, man. So, man, guys are in turmoil over that stuff.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy. Just like I I keep saying Kinsu, the you know, the guy that I've interviewed several times, 34 years in prison, completely innocent, still trying to get home. You know, the governor just denied his clemency. He's an innocent person. It's it's ridiculous.
0: You interviewed him?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's on the show. So I got three interviews with him. Okay, two or three. Them. Maybe two. Maybe, I, maybe From two interviews From prison. Okay. Yeah, he's up there in in uh in Michigan, you know. Okay. But, so going back to the stack, right, because I want to put this in perspective so people can really understand. So, what Chad explained is, let's say, let's use bank robbery. So we have the initial act of conspiracy where let's say you know, two individuals, us, Chad and I, we, we plan on robbing a bank. Then we run red lights on the way to the bank, right? Then we go in and we rob the bank. We shoot at people in the bank, we leave. We run red lights and hit a couple cars, leaving the bank. We shoot at a couple people outside. I say that in that order because each one of those is an infraction, and what he's talking about is instead of running the whole incident as just one bank robbery charge, it was just one ongoing incident, it was just fluent, right? There was no pause, they didn't stop, go to sleep, wake up, they didn't stop and eat anywhere and then commence. It was all just one action, right? What Chad is saying stacking is is where they'll take that one action and break it down for each infraction to to pile charges on you to, to get you into a career uh, criminal career status to just give you a life sentence, essentially, right? Did I explain well, that correctly? Is,
0: well, um, a little bit.
1: Okay, what clean they it up do for is, me. I
0: I'd rather I'd rather do it this way. Okay. A drug conspiracy, okay? Because okay. what you're talking about, they did They've done that, and in the 10th Circuit, they shot it down and said they were wrong, that they shouldn't, that they shouldn't do it that way. But what right. they do is, me, I, me and you commit, or we'll use the robbery analogy, right? Me and you commit a robbery, we get away, they don't know who we are. Okay. A week later, we commit another robbery. Use the same gun, they don't know who we are. A month later, we commit another robbery of a bank, same gun. Now they know who we are. They got us on tape, we left the fingerprint. So for that first gun, you brandished it, you get seven years, Right. The second bank robbery, that's 25 years. And the last bank robbery is another 25 years. So now we got 57 years just for possessing that same gun, right? Really what it's supposed to be is a recidivist enhancement. That's what they fixed with the first step back. And now let's go, now let's stay there for a second, but go back to a drug conspiracy. You bust a house, you find a gun, you don't arrest me. That gun's connected to my drug conspiracy. A month later, you bust another house, you find that 22 rifle, right? That's all part of the same conspiracy. So now I got 25 and five, there's 30, plus 10 for the drugs. And they're all stacked on each other. So you got 10, five, and 25, 40 years. Same thing with the robberies. You got you got seven, 25, and 25, 57. But that's not even counting the time that you're going to get for the robbery, which could be zero to 20 years for the armed bank robbery. So the judge could say, you know what? I'm giving you 57 years for the guns and 20 years for the robbery. You've got 77 years. You're 30 years old. You're going to die in prison. Should there be... Co- but now let's put this in perspective for your viewers, okay? The average sentence for murder in federal court is, the median sentence is 20 years. The average sentence for murder is 262 months, which is what? 22 years. So mm-hmm. you can kill someone and get 22 years. Um, There's a big, you know, there was a big case. Weldon Angelos had stacked 924 24C sold some marijuana, ended up with 55 years because they alleged he had a gun every time he sold, you know, an ounce or to to someone of marijuana
1: off somebody else's testimony i'm sure
0: yeah so off of that other guy's testimony a confidential informant another guy that had a criminal history and whatever so he ended up with 55 years and his judge said i have to give this guy more time under the law than what a person who sexually physically sexually abuses a child a terrorist A terrorist that gets on a plane and blows up the plane would get less time than this guy. I have to give this guy 55 years. But had he been a terrorist, I would only have to give him 20 years. Had he killed someone, his sentence would be 262 months. Had he molested a child, his sentence may have only been 10 years. But I have to give this guy 55 years.
1: Why? Why does the judge have to give that to him?
0: Because those were statutory penalties that Congress imposed. You can't get around that. Those are mandatory minimums that Congress set the statute for, and the judge can't get under them, unless you cooperate. You know, that's really the only real way to go under. People are like, oh, well, the safety valve, the only real way to get under that 55 years was for him to come tell on someone, and he didn't do that, right? He, he went to trial, and he lost trial, and he ended up with 55 years. However, by the grace of God, he's out of prison, and President Trump most recently pardoned him, so he no longer has a felony record. You know, he's a big advocate for reform. And,
1: Trump what, gave him a, a pardon.
0: Yeah, gave him a pardon. He got out in 2010 um, under Obama.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He went to court and, you know, they dismissed some charges. The, the Department of Justice dismissed a couple of the stack 924Cs, and he ended up getting released. He had Mike Lee, the senator from Utah, helping him. So things worked out. He was, he's been out since, I want to say, 2010, doing the right thing, you know, criminal justice reform activist and worked closely with the White House on some stuff, and Trump pardoned him. So now he no longer has a criminal record either.
1: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So he ended up doing, or he got 55 years.
0: Yeah.
1: How much would he have gotten if he would have cooperated?
0: Oh, God, I don't know. Had he cooperated, maybe, in that situation, maybe five, six years.
1: Okay, so let to cooperate to get out. Yeah. Right, so let's just say five years. So you're talking a difference of 50 years right to 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 just go to trial to to you know yeah. to to use your first amendment right to to go to trial so why 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 do they do that chad why what is the pressure why why do they allow people to cooperate and get that time well why why do the government punish us so badly for not cooperating or why is there such a, a a wide range between five years and fifty-five years, you know. Well, let me tell you what's what the that? incentive? What's the incentive that the government has?
0: I can only tell you what I think, right? And we can we can look at Sammy the Bull Gravano. Let's use him. Great example, right? Sammy the Bull Gravano admits to what 17 murders on the stand, I think it was, right? Yeah. He ends up getting a plea for five years, right? That's because they wanted John Gotti so bad. So they were willing to say, hey. This guy that's a threat to the public, pretty, pretty obvious. he's a threat to the public. He killed 17 people. He admitted to it, probably more than that. He's a threat. Now, is is he a threat to the community? I mean, common sense says this guy's a dangerous dude. We shouldn't let this dude out of prison, no matter who he tells on, right? But because we want John Gotti, we're going to allow him to tell, and we're going to let him out. And I think it comes down to what you said. I think most prosecutors, not all, but probably 85% of them, they're known. They have no compassion, they have no feelings, they don't care about you, they don't understand what it's like. And then you know when I go back to, you know, John Gleason was my federal judge, right? I mean, he was my, my attorney, he was a federal judge for 22 years. In fact, he was the guy that gave that deal to Sammy Bull Gravano. I'm sure it had to come from Washington DC, but he gave that deal to him. But, you know, since he stepped down from the bench, you know, he's done a lot of things, He's said a lot of things, he's done videos. He, he helped me for free. I mean, these are million-dollar lawyers that stepped in for free because he's seen the injustices. And he said something in a video that i seen that he did for the New York Times. And he said that his mentor told him when he became a federal judge, I want you to do this. I want you to visit a prison every year. Because after you get done sentencing, our job is to do justice. But go see the places that we have, uh, that, that you're sending these people to. He said, go see the places. Go check out these people. You know, go, go see uh, go see what, uh, what you're sending them. Go look at the effects of your sentencing. And Judge uh, Justice Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, he said that he used to tell all his clerks that. You know, some of you guys are going to be, you know, prosecutors someday. Some of you might be federal judges. Some might be defense lawyers. He used to take his students and his clerks into federal prisons. This is a su- Supreme Court judge. Some people don't like him, but I think the guy's fair. And that's all I ask for, man, as, as, right. as a criminal defendant. Be fair. If the law says this and the police violated it this way, then, you know, give me give me my due. Give me my due. But I also think that, like I said earlier, the time should fit the crime. The time should fit the crime. You don't take a 24-year-old and send him to prison for 40 years. I got right. a guy I used to write for. I write for Criminal Legal News, Jamel Lazell. 20 years old. They gave him 132 years at 20 years old. The judge says, I don't want to do this, but I have to. He robbed Domino pizzas, man, for $20, $30. You gave this 20-year-old 132 years. By the grace of God, he served 22 years. He just got out two weeks ago. And I used to write about him all the time. He was my example. He got out under compassionate release, under the stacking law. Now, there's guys all over the country getting out under it, right? But there's also guys like Ian Owens, under the same law, his judge denied him. In Michigan, no, because you got you got a nasty judge. If you yeah. got a nasty judge, the law don't apply to you. Well,
1: if and finally- that's the thing, too, is we have to find a way to make everything universal. It has to be universal. If a man in, in, in it should be like Walmart, for real. You know, if, if I can find somebody's sentence in California that has the same exact charge that I got, that got less time than me, then I should be able to get that sentence, too, you know. And and it has to be universal. If somebody got out in Washington under compassion release and and theirs fits mine, then I should be able to get out on that too. Well, Shouldn't... it should be like
0: this because they had a problem with that. That's why they did the sentencing guidelines, right? And they're like, look, you know, we want everything to come together and we want, you know, Joe Blow in California will get the same time as Jimmy Johnson over here in New York. Well, mm-hmm. that's what the guidelines were for. Well, guess what? Didn't work out that way. You know, guys would have 262 months over here. And this guy would have 120 because they found ways to go under the guidelines or this guy cooperated. Really right. what it should be is the stuff should be retroactive, right? All, all the first step action stuff should be retroactive. And there's a whole lot more to do. But it should it should be mandatory for the judge to do it as long as you have not been in a, a problem in prison. You're not running around stabbing people. You're not running around selling dough. You're not running around killing people. You're not raping people. Then you're entitled to the same thing that Jimmy Johnson got in New York. You're entitled to that in California, because if you put it in the judge's discretion, it still comes down to the nasty judge. You got a nasty judge. You're not getting out. That's it. You're done. Sorry.
1: Yeah, and that's so, and that's and that's the fact. But at the end of the day, because we're coming up on our an hour and a half, so yeah. At, at the end of the day, right? Again, like I say with my program and 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 what I experienced through my change, you know, and and, and I'm only me. It's only me and and I changed the way that I changed and I saw things the way that I saw things and I see things the way that I see them now. At the end of the day, 99% of the problems that are in our lives, we bring upon ourselves, yeah. right? And, and I want my listeners and I want everybody that comes in contact with me to understand that before we start broadcasting blame anywhere, right? What accountability have we taken for for our lives and and our decisions? I was a drug dealer. I started selling drugs at at 13, 14 years old. Because like you, I wanted nice things and I just didn't know how to get it. My parents didn't give me no skills. I did not know how to do anything. I didn't understand life. I got ended up wrapped up in a conspiracy, got all of this time. I spent the first six years of my life angry blaming the prosecutor because you know she she lied completely at trial blaming the agent because he was going around showing my picture getting people to jump on my case you know just just everything i was blaming everybody and like you say i was stuck right and and after so many years i started looking around and chad i'm like man i'm more intelligent than this i'm better than this I don't belong here. I'm seeing 40, 50-year-old men running around with bandanas and their pants down around their ass, playing dominoes and, and yelling and not progressing as a human being. And, and I, when I started realizing, like, in order to change, I have to change. Right? Oh, wow. Because we, when we go into prison, we are who we are in prison, who we were on the street. If we were a knucklehead on the street, we're gonna be a knucklehead in prison, right? And what made me change was my daughter, right? And I, and I go into this in, in prior episodes, but my daughter one day had visit and I was just tired of it. I was tired of her yelling that she wanted to stay with me. I just saw the pain that I was causing my family. And then it made me realize the pain that I've caused my family. You know, and everything that I've just put these people through. My mother, 70 years old, dragging my, you know, my two-year-old daughter through visitation by herself. You know, and I just felt like a piece of shit. Like, what have I done? And and I changed. I stopped reading fiction. I stopped watching movies. I started picking up biographies. Like you say, I started going to the law library. I didn't know the first thing about my case. So I said, man, let me go learn about my case. You know, and I started learning conspiracy, you know, and, and, and I started teaching people and, and I progressed, you know. And one thing is, coming home, somebody had asked me, man, you ever going to go back to selling drugs, you know. And I said, no, I'll never sell another drug in my life. And that's not because I don't want to go back to prison. I'll never commit another crime again, not because I don't want to go back to prison, right, but because I don't want to hurt people. I've hurt people. I am part of what we see today. I've helped destroy communities. I've, I've helped tear families apart. And I live with that every day, right? Every day I live with that. I think about the little girl that at her birthday party, her dad owed me $200. I didn't care. I ended up taking her TV as a birthday present because he owed me $200. This stuff haunts me today. And this is why I give back, and this is what I do. And I just want people to understand that we live in emotions every day, right? We're in our emotions every day, and we're allowing government to distract us with all of this propaganda that we see on TV to keep us in an emotional state. So we go out and we do the things that we do under emotions, under depression, under anger, right? At the end of the day, we have the choice. At the end of the day, we have the choice. Nobody can take our choice. I can either choose to be bad or I can choose to be good, you know? And this, yep. is, this is just who I am, brother. You know, I look at you. Like I said, I have mad respect for you. I have mad love for you as a human being for going through what you've went through, enduring what you've endured. And people like you and me, only us can understand what we've been through, right? And we stick together in that you know, and I love you for that. I love you. You're a soldier. You're a champion. And I, and I, and I wish you many blessings on your journey, brother.
0: I appreciate you, man. And, you know, people that want to know about what's really going on in federal prison. Like I said, I wrote a book, man. And you know, I've read a lot of books, like you've probably read a lot of books and a lot of them dudes never been in the places that I've been. They never experienced what I experienced. I was so tired of these books of guys talking about prison that had never been nowhere. So, I wrote that book, Blood on the Razor Wire. It takes you inside a violent federal prison. It takes you inside the criminal justice system, and it shows you what's really going on. We're not we're not faking. It's everything in that book's 100 real, man. And it goes from prison to the street, back to prison, and how I ended up where I ended up. And I don't like to say it's a book about redemption because it's not. It's a book about what's real, man, raw. It's raw. It gives you you know perspective. Some people have you know told me, hey man, the book was scary, but it was real. And I appreciate it. So tell people to check out that book, man. I appreciate you and the things that you do, man. You're good where can
1: guy. they where, where can they get the, 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 the book at? You can get
0: it on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Blood mm-hmm. on the Razor. That's the book.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like that. And so the mission is they...
0: not for me to make a bunch of money because I don't really make nothing off the book. Mm-hmm. But there's a bigger mission. Awareness. That. That's there you go, man. And to, you know, maybe get a platform. Turn the book into a movie. And then we can start getting a real message out there. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, you know it, I know it. Dudes walk out of prison and forget about you, forget about everybody inside it. So even if it became a movie, it just gives me a bigger platform to do what I said I was going to do, and I'll continue to do.
1: And so I'm yes, with you. I and I got, you, and I got people behind me for that purpose, because again, I'm attacking reform from a whole different angle. I'm not talking to these politicians. I'm not talking to these legislators. I'm talking to my American blue-collar worker, that hates prisoners, that can't understand gang members, that go out and work every day hard and, and can't understand why everybody can't do that. You're the person that I want to change because you're the person that's going to stand up and say, no, we need reform. The only way we're gonna get reform is through our brothers and sisters out here on the street. You know, We have to change the stigma. So you got a YouTube channel? Well,
0: I got a YouTube channel I'm gonna have on the content up Monday. That's also Blood on the Razor Wire TV. And um, I'm getting everything set up now. If they want, they can go subscribe now, pre-subscribe. I promise that they will not be disappointed. I'm going to take you inside the prison system. But the ultimate mission is to save kids from life imprisonment and premature death through our stories.
1: Okay. You're going to have me on the show because I saved some of my glory for you.
0: Yeah, 100%, man. 100% have you on the show. I appreciate you, man.
1: All right, man. Take care, man. Stay blessed, Uh, partner. And thank you for all your kind words, too, man. I heard you. I mean, Thank thank you. Free Me Podcast.